Okay, welcome to Ask Alex episode 210 on the com podcast. Alex, we are here again. This is Thursday. This is the third podcast we are recording in, I think, less than, yeah, just, just over 24 hours, something like that. We decided that this was the best way to do it and get them in the car and with both our schedules and release them on a weekly basis for the people. Uh, we might hold one back till just after Christmas or in the new year, depending on the um, sort of demand for it. But the demand's always there for you, Alex. So how are you today? I'm excellent because last night I didn't go see Terminator. How are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Um, if you have listened to episode 209, I was talking about uh, cinema exploits as usual. It's pretty much all I've got to talk about these days in my life. Uh, watching box sets and going to the cinema, but I went <laughs> I went to see the new Terminator film, Terminator Dark Fate or Terminator the Dark Fate, whatever it's called. And you know, it's Terminator. It's going to be. I would never moan, and I hate these people that go and see films like that and then come out and go, "Oh, that was far fetched." You're like, it's about a cyborg time traveling. Like you knew that before you went in. You can't hold that against it. But I swear, that is, that's one of the worst. No, it's hard because I didn't really like Terminator 3. But that was horrendous is like the best <laughs> way I could sort of say it. I mean, they've came up with this. It's not even a concept. They've just called it Terminator, came up with like, you know, put random words in a box, brought that out to generate a title, and they've tagged... Um, Linda Hamilton and Arnold Schwarzenegger on it to kind of get people like me who love the originals and stuff to go and see it and it was just oh Alex there is so like there's bits in it that are just I was watching it going really like wow I can't believe it I think I like laughed you know as well at a few points and the bit, oh, first of all, um, I did talk about the last time when I went to the cinema how they didn't put it on the night before. This Terminator's been the bane of my life because uh, <laughs> it was like, didn't put it on. I got a free voucher for food, etc. I did. I said that on the podcast, didn't I, Alex? That wasn't just... Uh, <laughs> yes, was, you did, Barry. Yeah, I can <laughs> So what happened then last night, I go, hand over my voucher, got my free food, nachos, large fizzy juice, of course, right into the cinema, up, sit in my seat, sitting down, you know, trailers are on. Then the certificate for the film comes up. I'm serious, this happened. Doctor Sleep. <laughs> it goes on and then it comes on and Doctor Sleep presu- uh, proceeds to start. Now, I was like, shit, I've walked into the wrong screen or something. Like, surely... And then the guy next to me sort of like looked and I could see him and I was like, I'm here to see Terminator. And he went, no, we're here to see Terminator as well. And it was semi-busy. And I was like, oh, this is... So I jumped two suckers out. Sorry, continue. So I walked down the stairs, went right along the like uh, lobby, found staff and was like, hi, I'm in screen five, you know, supposed to be Terminator. They've just put Dr. Sleep on. Something like this happened the night before. I couldn't see it. And they were like, oh, sorry, Ray. What we'll do is we'll go and start that. And don't worry, we'll just start it without any of the trailers. You won't need to watch that again. We'll just start the film. 
I go back sitting down thinking, am I, is this going to be another night like it's cancelled? Luckily, the film did start. And I say luckily, but anyway, spoiler alert, okay, so if you've never seen the film or you want to see Terminator, after my review, spoilers. <laughs> Starts. Um, it's like CGI'd Edward Furlong, you know, who played John Connor in the second one, and wow. Linda Hamilton. And they're sitting in some, like, beach somewhere. You know, like, I don't know, Hawaii or Acapulco or something. You know, and it's like 97 or 98, and John Connor's at the bar getting, like, a drink uh, coming over, and then, like, another Terminator just appears and blows him away with a shotgun. And that was, like, 97, 98. So it turns out, like, they'd sent all these Terminators back. It wasn't just one Terminator to come and kill him. It was, like, all these Terminators were kept getting sent back to kill him. Total first continuity error. The Terminator was an Arnie-type Terminator, you know, like the original Model 101. It looked like Arnie and everything. But in the Terminator 2, they'd upgraded and sent back the, you know, the liquid metal one. So why they've sent back an older Terminator, first off, you know, that was bullshit. Anyway, that has nothing to do with the whole story. They then go to Mexico, and like there's some new girl that now is going to be the future freedom fighter of this dark futuristic, you know, AI taking over. And I swear, it was just horrendous. Then they find they've got to get Arnie in the film, obviously. Turns out there was another Terminator sent back, and Arnold Schwarzenegger won again to kill John. But, and this is the one that killed John Connor. But now he's killed John Connor. He starts, he, he live, he's, he's still on Earth, and he stays there. And he goes and has a normal life. <laughs> and... He, made, he shacks up with some woman and a kid uh, who was, like, beaten by her partner and starts to bring up the child. This Terminator's bringing up some child with some woman and she doesn't know it's a Terminator and it grows a conscience or the equivalent of a conscience. I shit you not, this Terminator Arnie is sitting there with his legs crossed in, like, some ranch in Texas somewhere and there's a dog beside him and he's patting the dog like he's become some pop, you know, pop Terminator type thing. It was ridiculous. I, I do not know how that got okayed and made. It was absolutely terrible. It was it was so, so bad. It was laughable. And, you know, that is all I will say on it. Like, you got to see it because it was that bad. The action and stuff, to be fair, was good and fine enough, but the storyline was atrocious. I cannot emphasize that enough. Utterly atrocious, and that's all I'm going to say on the Terminator now. Unless Alex says something else or asks something. Alex, the the floor is yours. No, I <laughs> I, uh, I personally just wanted to hear an angry uh, Barry rant uh, about uh, your box sets or your movies. But on a more serious note, you you said that's pretty much what I'm doing with life now, which is resting and box sets and movies and whatnot the older i get the more i realize that's pretty much the most important thing right there's uh there's this book called rest why you get more done when you work less uh by alex sujung kimpong and it was a guy who looked into the deliberate practice stuff that he, he looked into the initial research because they always said 10,000 hours of deliberate practice makes you a master. And it's like, okay, 
We have all met people in our lives that have been doing their job for 10,000 hours and they're atrocious at it, like the people who made that Terminator movie, perhaps. But the thing about it is he looked into the research and found that most of the deliberate practice that got real results, it was in bursts of four to six hours. If they did work an eight hour workday, it would be the most important stuff would be four to six. And then maybe a couple more hours of stuff where they tidied things up. And he found this with just about everybody and lots of clinical research into elite performers uh, who fared well, who didn't. Those who had rich personal lives who could point to their hobbies and go, those are my hobbies. Those people were energized and did better with their businesses or with their professions and it was really interesting because when I was reading that, I was thinking of you, Barry, because you have always been very, because I used to joke with you at the beginning, like, ah, you finished that prison break box at, what was that, 91 hours, Barry? You could have learned French in that time or yeah, something yeah. like that, right? And now that I'm older, I'm just like, Barry had it right the whole time. Barry is doing fine as far as I know. I hope so. You know, maybe... Maybe Barry's in a cardboard box when he records this, but maybe not, but hopefully not. But it, it really seems, do you feel like you can do your work better because you go see Terminator and then you, you sit here with me and give these hilarious takedowns of it? Well, I, I think, to be fair, I've always been... I wouldn't say inherently lazy, but I would say I always try and look to do the minimum of stuff that I don't enjoy doing. And to me, that's just smart and efficient or effective or whatever. Like when I was at uni, you know, I, I never liked studying. At school, I didn't like studying. So I never spent a lot of time studying. And that, you know, I did well. I got good grades and I, you know, I got a first at uni and stuff like that. I finished my degree, but I didn't do it because I was never going to sit. I had to do it my way because I was never going to be the one that sat in the library for five, six hours studying. I was always had to, you know, condense it and look for methods that I could take in and, uh, you know, sort of take the information on board. And it was always like I would write just bullet point lists and work from that and try and understand the topic rather than memorize because to study intensively for that amount of time, there comes a point where you know the concept and then you can riff on it and ad lib and stuff and answer any exam question. If you're studying five, six hours and you are actually not just staring at a blank wall, all you're doing is memorizing and memorizing the stuff. And that was never, you know, I never found that fun. I never found things like that. And when it comes to working for myself, um, when I first, you know, was doing it when I was younger, I would do bursts uh, naturally. I would go and like find a lot of stuff to buy or sell, you know, really hunt for the stuff, get it all, sell it all, make the money, and then literally work-related wise, do nothing until I needed money again. You know, don't get me wrong. This is when I lived with my mom. I had, you know, she didn't charge me board, anything like that. I had zero expenses apart from whatever I wanted to piss my money against the wall on. You know, that was that was it. So I didn't have an urgency. So I would just go make money, do nothing for two, three months. Oh, I kind of need money again. All right, let's start looking for ways to make, oh, do that, make money again, and then just rinse and repeat. 
as I got a bit older, sort of like mid twenties, and um, you know, rent and things like that, and living with my girlfriend, long term girlfriend, and stuff like that, you do have commitments. You've got bills to pay. There's rent to pay. You can't just lie around and do nothing all the time. So I had to try and find a little bit more of a. And I don't think I'm being fair on myself when I say like I didn't have a work ethic. I did. My work ethic was just that was it. Do the be efficient and do the sort of minimum for the maximum results, which I always thought and still do think is smart. But I kind of got lost along the way, maybe about 2014, I'd say. I got back in. I stopped playing poker uh, full time in 2012, end of 2012. And in 2013, I started, you know, my business again, antiques and collectibles, stuff like that. And I said, right, I went into it with full energy, almost physically feeling, Alex will probably relate to this and other people listening, when you're really determined and you've made a decision you want to do something, it's like you're almost feel yourself gritting your teeth even when you're not or your chest tightness or something going like, oh, like pushing yourself into it. And I decided to do that. And I kind of went the other way. I was working far too hard, doing too many hours, not getting enough sleep, up two, three times in a row in the morning, like ridiculously early on, zero sleep. And then coming home and not resting, getting right back into it on the computer to the point where I started going, wow, I'm not enjoying this anymore. I'm stressing myself out. I'm creating anxiety and like physical you know, when I do experience any sort of like real stress and anxiety, I, I feel it physically or I, I sort of like deal with it physically, you know, like uh, in that sense. And I said, no, this has to, you know, something has to give here. And it's such a trite thing to say or a cliche, but the truth is balance. And I read something recently and um, some guy was saying he spends his time working or relaxing and that's it. And, and, and he's relaxing time whether it's wasting time, what people would consider as wasting time is such a stupid thing to say because what you're doing, and I said this to Alex before, and I said it to a good friend of mine recently who is really, I notice it with him, he is on the point of burnout and you can't say anything to him without upsetting him because it's like, you don't understand how much stress I've got to do and stuff. And I do, and nobody wants to hear that because the person under the stress at the time is like, no, you don't. But I see it from afar. It's like a car crash type thing. And you just, you see what's happening. And nobody can save themselves from that apart from themselves. But it is so important. And I, as I said to Alex, I said, you've got to see relaxation, wasting time. If computer games are your thing, you know, that's not my thing anymore. But if you want to sit and play Call of Duty for five hours or whatever, and that's your downtime and you switch off, truly switch off, that is worth it. That's that's like working because what it's doing is it's allowing you that breath, it's allowing you that time and the downtime and you know a little bit of less stress and anxiety, and it recharges you so you'll work better and you can go further. Whereas if you sprint, like any analogy, you know if you just sprint and sprint, eventually you're going to fail. You you can't just keep sprinting. And that just transfers over to like work, life balance and everything. And I just think it's so important and it's different for every person. And I got really pissed off with people that there, there was this, there still is, it's about, and it's this um, sort of like conquest of like who's busiest and everybody like posting on Twitter and 
Facebook of like a badge of honor, like I get zero sleep now and that. I don't want to be that. I know I work better on seven hours sleep. Like seven hours minimum for me is good. Anything over eight and that, I start feeling pretty crappy sometimes during the day. Anything less than seven, I'm I'm not as optimal. You know, like five hours, four hours sleep, I want to like go to sleep later that day and things like that. About six, six and a half, seven hours, perfect for me. So I know I need to get that. But sometimes I need the eight hours plus or whatever the lie in. And it's everyone's different. Everybody's got different bodies, different ways of dealing stress. But there this seems to be this general like loads of books published about it. Everybody should be going a mile a minute, 24-7, if you want to achieve and you want to do this. And there's so much pressure on people because you're seeing 20-year-olds with Lamborghinis and houses and reality stars, etc. And I feel sorry on young people that have grew up with totally that as their sort of like thing because I think it's going to create mass burnout and mass mental health crisis that we're starting to see the start of it just now. But I think in the next five to 10 years in the UK and the US, what I see, you know, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be a mental health crisis because even in a small sample size of people I know that are close to me and friends and people I speak with and stuff, everybody seems to be like stressed out their box, doing really well, but mentally just like ghosts or zombies and it's scary and you've got to find whatever it is and you almost need to switch off from the busyness and just go you know what i'm a way to sit and watch crappy terminator and eat popcorn for whatever or i'm going away to go and stick something some other box set on or go and play a games emulator for five six hours on games you played as a kid whatever it is you know you have to find it and never let anybody make you feel guilty about taking that time and don't feel guilty for yourself or beat yourself up because it is so important because uh, eventually you will crash. And whether that's full-blown panic attacks, some other sort of breakdown, or fighting with someone and falling out with someone because you're so stressed in the moment that you say something you're going to regret and you can't take back, etc., you, you really it's so important it's it's more important than making money and, and working you know it's like that's always going to be there um that, that's that's probably like why i'd say you know and it wasn't succinct but <laughs> alex on you go well, uh, well no i think what you're saying uh it's okay that it isn't succinct because i really wish somebody had taught me at the beginning of my poker journey what you're discussing and the that book that i suggested rest uh, about, it was really interesting. They were looking at these uh, gentlemen and ladies who scored really well on IQ tests and were supposed to be the scientists of the future. And they were covering them for decades and decades. And they found the ones who didn't have recreation, didn't couldn't point to what their recreation was and actually worked more hours than the others, they found that was a great predictor of failure. Less Nobel Prizes, less uh, tenure, at, at less tenured positions at universities, less papers published. And they found that, uh, well, in if you want to take it to sports, if you want to be less academic, uh, Kawhi Leonard, a couple years ago, a very big basketball player, 
he was rehabbing an injury and he didn't like how his team was treating him uh, because they were saying, you know, like, come on, be a tough guy, get back. And he just said, screw it, I'm not playing for you anymore. It's my body. I can't handle it. And everybody said this is going to nuke his career. This is the worst decision anyone has ever made in the NBA. Uh, well, they traded him, and the next year he won the championship with Toronto, beating a dynasty here in the Golden State Warriors because he was not afraid to say, hey, my body needs to rest right now. I know you need to fill the seats in the stands. I know I'm the star, but you got to understand I'm a professional athlete, and what I trade off of is this body. So in both mental disciplines and physical disciplines, it would seem that rest is a very deliberate practice that needs to be applied. It is almost like it, the analogy I always think of is when you're pulling a rubber band, right? It's what makes, I, I feel like it sets you up for success. The more able you are to think clearly, uh, it's, relieving tension, taking tension, but not like just pulling it in one direction all, all at once. Mm. And I, I can just say personally, when I moved to uh, Newark, New Jersey, uh, when I first got back to the United States and Arizona somewhat, that was when I was like, okay, you got to get your life in order. You got to get your finances in order. I would wake up at 7.30 in the morning I would be in the weight room by eight, nine, and I would work till literally midnight or 2 a.m. after I got home from the weight room, like every single day, Monday to Friday. Uh, usually would work, usually would work 50 plus hours during the week. And then I would just be a zombie during the weekend. I'm not sure why my girlfriend didn't leave me at that time. And I wasn't getting a whole lot more done than. I get done now working bursts of six hours, eight hours, and just really going fast. Something I do is I take a list with me when I'm working. And when I get something done, I put it down on my list of things I did that day. And once that list is looking like a really great work day, I just stop. And I make sure I take time to, I think the quality of rest is a really big deal. So if you enjoy reading books, probably shouldn't be on the Kindle because it's still the screen. It should be a physical book or even better, listening to an audible book while you walk outside and get some fresh air. Trying to make the quality of the rest is a, uh, greater is such a big deal. And the more I've invested time in that, my business has just grown by leaps and bounds. And all the overwork I realize now was an addiction. This is something you don't want to say to your buddy, Barry, but I would guarantee it's true because I can tell you as a workaholic who ruined my former marriage with that and all of that, you get addicted to the stress. You get addicted to the exhaustion because I think a lot of these people, they don't, because this was certainly my case. I didn't want to feel my depression. I didn't want to feel PTSD, anxiety, mm -hmm. symptoms. And I just used that as fuel to work all the time because when I was working, I didn't feel those negative feelings. So I, when people do the whole like, wow, you had a tremendous work ethic, it's like, no, 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 this was an addiction. 
This is something that needs to be fixed. This is not healthy. This is not something that should be celebrated. Not seeing my family because I'm addicted to overwork is a negative thing. The person, the person who is busy all the time, when I hear that, I just think of out of control, not yeah. managing their affairs, don't have their affairs in order. And I, uh, sorry, Barry, can you hear me? We had some connection problems yeah. yesterday. Yeah. yeah, you can hear me. But no, I, I was just addicted to the adrenaline, the stress, uh, the money, the, the, the feeling of exhaustion is a wonderful feeling if you're normally anxious because it's like, I couldn't have done anything else today. I'm just going to lay here completely spent. Uh, you know, I'm going to watch football for three hours and not remember any of it. It was an addiction. It was a pure addiction to actually have to face your life to admit you get most of your work done in six hours. And when you're going for 10 or 12 hours, you're just being wasteful. I get way more done in six hours, eight hours now than I ever got done working 10, 14 hour days. Because if somebody said, Barry, I need you to sit at this computer and work for 14 hours, you would just do busy work all day because there aren't as many meaningful inputs as we would like there to be in any business or in poker or in study, whatever it may be. So you, what you end up doing is you spend a lot of money, you spend a lot of time on social media, spend a lot of time on email, you spend a lot of time on busy work, you don't get a whole lot done, you spend a lot of time doing Skype chats with people you might work with, and it just ends up being wasteful and it's an addiction and it's not good for overall performance, the science is very clear on this. And anyway, on that note, Barry, I guess we should answer an actual poker question, huh? Well, I, I think you touched on something just before we go on because I think it's important for anybody listening as well. When you say that, that is what it is, and I see that with that part, is people hide in the busyness, in the drama, and they're hiding from themselves. And whether that's, you know, problems or issues or unresolved stuff, and th that's sad, actually. You know, that that's tragic sometimes. And I get that, why people do that. And the thing is, is what the danger is, and I see it with people, when you're in that mindset of work, 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 go, 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 like you're some high-powered executive that is needs to be on, you know, 24-7, when they're like that, they then equate that with every aspect of their life. They're like that with everything, whether it's going for food with friends or doing something and then anything that is downtime starts feeling like a distraction and like an inconvenience where it should be the work that's an inconvenience to life and spending time and doing fun things and what they do is they start I see it they start moaning about everything that's like even little things and I was guilty of this sometimes you sometimes go oh I've got to go and do that you know whether it's like you know renew your passport or apply for something or fill out a form online and literally what you're saying to yourself is sitting in a chair moving your little finger for a mouse and clicking a couple of buttons is going to be so exhausting and such an inconvenience and that sounds stupid and like oh how could it be but what it is is it's mental energy that's gone these people and i've done i did it to myself as well you go so fast and so hard for so long that you just, you're mentally exhausted with it. And it's like any little task then starts feeling like a chore. And that is when it's time you really know you've got to look after yourself and take a break. And I, I find I work better in bursts and I'll always do that and just go at my own pace. You know, I'm like, 
it's another cliche, but you're competing against yourself, and that's it. You just you're not even competing against yourself. You should be working against your, uh, working with yourself, and just go at your own pace and just ignore all this. Like you know these tweets. You see it, Business Insider, Wall Street Journal, three steps to sleep less and get more done and that. It's like fuck you. I want to sleep more and get some, you know, get enough <laughs> yeah. done, get enough done or whatever. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. But, um, yeah, yeah, I think we have, um, yeah, to, uh, to use Alex's uh, terminology, let, let's put a bow on this, Alex, and then we'll, yes, you can sir. put a bow on and I'll, I'll get a question ready. Uh, no, I, I, I got nothing more except for that everything Barry said is absolutely right. Uh, let's just get right into a question. That's the correct answer. That's the way I've got my family <laughs> responded to me. <laughs> you find it's easier. Um, okay, right. This one is from Mark. Alex. I've been a big fan of yours since this time last year when you did a webinar for Jonathan Little and offered Master Tournament Poker in one class for $99 at the end. Both your presentation style and your sense of humour make your content equally entertaining and informative. I'm also a student in Jonathan's Inner Circle, which is a twice a month private webinar where he gives us a short strategy lecture and then we individually show him some hands we want him to go over. A couple of times I've shown him some hands where I decided to, and then quotation marks, buy the showdown. And he states that for the most part, he doesn't think that's a good play to be making. He cites both balance issues and the fact that I'm making my checking range very weak when I do this. Meanwhile, I've seen you use that play to great effect, and it's something that I've definitely made work because of your instruction. My question is, how do I reconcile my two favourite teachers giving me contrary advice? I respect both his game and yours, and I'm not sure who's right here. Your thoughts? This is the tactic I get the most criticism for. Uh, excuse me one second. Well, look, there's a... Uh, you got to remember Jonathan Little... And I come from different backgrounds. Barry, can you catch me? It said my microphone was muted for a second. It, I can hear you. I can hear you. Oh, yeah. okay, great. Uh, no, well, you got to remember, we also teach. Jonathan Little has a game that I have played with Jonathan Little in high stakes tournaments before. And you just, he has. It's like fighting Floyd Mayweather. It's like fighting a ghost. Like you try to punch and he's just somewhere else. It's extremely frustrating to play against Jonathan Little. And I'm a professional player. I've been a professional player. Uh, I went pro pretty much out of high school when I was 18 years old. Uh, so it's thir 13 years. And yeah, I can't crack Jonathan Little. Jonathan Little is that good. And he is trying to give you that game. Jonathan Little is an intellectually honest coach. So he is giving you a very balanced game and his criticisms are perfectly legitimate, which is to say, one second. I've had a little cough these, <laughs> the last uh, three one outer episodes, which have you know happened like 14 minutes apart from each other. So it's gonna sound like weeks to you guys, but sorry about that. Uh, I just don't want that to go into the microphone. But what he's saying is absolutely true, which is 
if you so a great example of buying the showdown would be let's say you raise jack nine of clubs on the button the big blind calls you the board comes queen of hearts nine of hearts offsuit three he checks to you you bet say half pot he calls the turn is an offsuit two he checks to you Many poker players do not like to bet here because what ends up happening is I, I tend to think in lo with low to mid-stakes competition, go ahead and fire because they're going to call with 10-9. They're going to call with 9-8. They're going to call with 9-7. They're going to call with 9-6 suited. They're going to call with jack-10. They're going to call with queen-10, uh, excuse me, uh, with uh, king-10 on occasion. They're going to call with heart draws. They do, if they were to realize what you were doing, they could massively exploit you, but they're not going to catch that, in my opinion. I have done a lot of survey surveys. I have checked a lot of different databases to make sure this is right. Because here's the thing, if I give you guys bad advice, have you ever known poker players to not be vocal when something is not working for them? Does that sound like poker players to you? If I recommend something to you guys and it doesn't work, guess who gets 100 emails Monday morning? So I really have to be careful that this stuff works. And my legitimate advice is Jonathan Little is right. If you just get in the habit of betting very thinly on the turn and doing that because most likely you will, quote, buy the showdown he will call you with most of his weaker hands and then check most rivers to you. And then you will have the option to wrap the table if you decide to. That is unbalanced. That is unbalanced. Anyone who realized what you were doing could, I do it all the time. I, I see young grinders do that move to me. I call with top pair. And then on the river, when the flush draw misses, I lead out 1.8x pot. And I get called because it looks just like I missed my flush draw. That is a way I can exploit someone who buys the showdown. Now, what is more likely? You are going to be playing against someone like me or you're going to be playing with the guys at your local casino. The reason you are working, the reason that is working to great effect is the average low to mid stakes player is very poor at raising post flop as a bluff. Most poker players will raise their two pair or better because they know they'll never get blamed if they run into a hand that way. They'll call with their pairs because people who get in the habit of raising pairs tend to go broke pretty quick because when you raise with pairs, you fold out weaker pairs and <clears throat> they fold their high cards. So what ends up happening is you get a lot of people that just want to play their hands in low to mid stakes and that's fine. In the United Kingdom and in the United States, many people have the money to play recreationally. They just kind of want to see if their pair is good. They want to see if their draw gets there. And they're going to call you. Now, if you're playing against Jonathan Little, I would never buy the showdown. Or I wouldn't do it with impunity. Because he's going to start realizing, oh, Alex bets when he has close to anything on the turn. So when he checks the turn, he doesn't have it. So if I miss my draw, I should lead out and turn this into an out-of-position float, right? Or he could lead the river on me. If, or he could do a multitude of different options because it is very unbalanced. But something that is very interesting to me 
is that if if you're playing to go back to the old adage about what is game theory optimal and what is exploitative play if you can imagine playing rock paper scissors when you first show up to the game and you don't know anything about the player it he could possibly be really good you can just randomize and he can't touch you right so you get a random number generator and you know, 33% of the time you go rock, 33% of the time you go scissors, 33% of the time you go paper. And while you're doing that, you figure out what he favors, right? Now, if you start seeing he throws rock 60, 70% of the time, you're just going to keep throwing paper in there. Then you're not going to be perfectly balanced. You're going to start throwing paper in there as much as possible to exploit the guy. That that's just good strategy, right? Now, my contention is Jonathan Little wants to make sure you're not just cutting to the chase really quickly because that could get you in a lot of trouble. My contention is low to mid-stakes players play so predictably that they adhere to, oh, what would you call it? They adhere to psychological fallacies, sunk cost fallacies so often, and they're very risk averse. And it is so predictable that I would just cut right to the exploitative strategies because in most of the analysis I've done, they do favor rock quite often. So I'm just going to start with paper most of the time. And then if I find out this guy's got game, uh, he can actually throw some reversals on me. He can realize I'm getting out of line and then he can do something. Well, now I'll go right back into my GTO shell or <clears throat> I, I will have to come up with another reversal and look at it, right? That's where I like to start the game. I hope it's clear to everyone these are different sides of the same coin in my style is more tailored towards low to mid stakes tournaments, which is why I'm very clear on that because what I'm gambling on here is that people do not like to raise without two pair or more. There is a lot of evidence I have of that. I've done a lot of surveys. I've worked with thousands of poker players. I've looked at more databases than I can imagine anybody else looking at. It is very difficult to find someone who will turn a pair into a bluff or even call with a draw, then take it to the turn and turn it into a bluff or will lead on a river with a pair or something like that. Those are very rare plays. Therefore, I don't feel <clears throat> as if, if I'm teaching my buddies to play like a low stakes event, I'll just go like, oh yeah, just bet the turn. They'll call you with weaker hands. They'll check to you on the river all the time. It, it kind of buys you the showdown, right? And then if they call me and they said, hey, Alex, I'm, I'm going to go play a 3.5K WPT. Should I do that play? I'm like, well, if John's at your table, no. If pros are at your table, no. But if the people there are telling you they got in there on a $100 satellite or something like that, then yeah, you maybe bring that play in. But what John's doing, which is actually very safe, and I have a lot of respect for this, is he teaches you a very balanced strategy that he works in his ex exploitative plays very skillfully. So 
it it's like a boxer with excellent defense who knows just when to get out of line and to start throwing haymakers. My contention is, hey, this guy drops his hand here, throw the haymaker right then. And that might leave you open from the get-go, but I'm going to gamble it won't. I think both of us have valid points. I think when you're going to higher stakes, you should really listen to Jonathan because he has much more success at higher stakes than I do. But if you're playing at low to mid stakes, I think it's okay to go right with the exploitative play at the beginning, especially if it's already working for you. But be wary if anybody starts going after it. Thank you for the question. That's a great one. And as I've said previously before on the show, um, I would even agree with Alex there just purely on the basis that how many people are actually paying attention apart from the guy in the hand in these low to mid stakes tournaments. Every second person's on their phone or when they're not in a hand, they're up and away at the toilet or speaking to their friend on the rail or whatever, fiddling with their bag or staring into space. It's the amount of times people don't follow the action and stuff. I said it before, I think, not even Vegas this year, I think it was the previous year, I said that was my one thing I thought if you go and play one of these poker tournaments, two, three hundred dollar buy-in in Vegas where there's like a thousand players, if you just sit and don't use your phone and focus and watch every hand and pay attention, that gives you an edge, straight, a huge edge straight away on the rest of the table. The amount of people that don't pay attention and couldn't tell you the action, even in hands they were in, um, a few hands after it and stuff, is, is crazy. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, you don't, I don't think you need to worry about as much being exploited, uh, exploited rather in these tournaments as opposed to what Alex is saying. You know, ten thousand buy-ins and things like that. Then okay, you maybe need to start thinking about it. Um, okay, what we're gonna do is, Alex, how's your throw? Are you you struggling or? I'm fine. Don't worry about me. We'll, uh, as long as you guys can deal with uh, the random pauses, I think we should be all right. Yeah, I'm going to go for this one then because uh, we're going to do another one back to back after this. So what we're going to do is we're going to squeeze another question into this show and then we're going to talk about another offer that we've got for the one hour coupon code. Uh, Alex has discounted another package. We've already got the Poker Craftsman package down to $79 using that coupon code. But Alex has kindly extended it to another uh, one of his products, which we'll talk about after this question. So the question, last question for this episode is from Anthony. And it's, hello, I listen to many of your older podcasts. I love them all. I especially like the ones with Barry Greenstein and Jared Tendler. With the Jared Tendler one, it got me thinking, do you or Alex have a mental coach or personal coach of some sort for mindset? I think this is crucial for higher stakes, but even would help people at low to medium stakes. If not, what do you do for mindset and mental game? Thanks, Anthony. Hey, Anthony, that's a fantastic question. The weakest part of my game for years was my mental game. Uh, just by virtue of some of the things I went through when I was younger, I didn't really have incredible emotional regulatory systems. And I also think I, I had a little too much success too quick. And uh, just, I just, I had no idea how I was dealing with it. And then uh, I made a bunch of mistakes and I was very bitter about it. And then I had a hard time focusing. And then 
health issues and stuff like that. My weight fluctuated for years. Uh, I was 150 when I was 18 years old. I'm six feet tall. Uh, I got to 248 at one point in Costa Rica. Right now I'm about 200. And uh, thankfully a little bit more of that is muscle now because I've, I am partial to the weight room these days. The the guys who got the guys and gals who got my mental game in check, I'll, I'll give you their names. Uh, John Wood is fantastic, although he's involved in some other projects. Uh, you can write me at Alex at pokerheadrush.com if you want to speak to him. Uh, he worked with me very closely for years. He's a great guy. He uh, actually, if you get the poker craftsman package, if you picked it up, he's the guy I did the professionals mindset with. He, uh, he worked with me on. He he was a little he was a little bit more militant, you know, a former marine, and he he really helped me reappraise some things in my mind I thought were negative. He he was the one who taught me. You guys have probably heard this on the One Outer podcast, but I used to think it was so bad. I was such a pe- pessimist with many things when it came to poker, and he went. No, man, an optimist is a guy in blackjack who gets 20 and goes, hit me. Your na- your nature is to be a pessimist. He would do stuff like that, and he got me being more on my side. He was definitely he, – he's a super great guy, super calm, super cool, but he, he definitely uh, – he, he's a little bit more uh, hardcore than maybe some other people would like, but I really love that. That really helped me channel a lot of things in my favor uh jared tendler i worked with too great guy there's a reason uh he's had so much success uh his books are fantastic trisha cardner i worked with uh for years and she really uh turned me around in a very different way than uh, i got a lot out of everybody but uh trisha really did some wonders, which was, she just has so much education. She, uh, I, I can say, you know, I'm feeling a little weird about this and, uh, she'll go like, Oh, that's, uh, she might know the actual, like, uh, the biology of what's going on, like what vitamin you're deficient in. And then you'll take it. Right. And you'll go, Oh my God, I feel better. This is crazy. Like, how'd you know that? And she worked with me on a number of things. Uh, especially over the last couple of years. And her books are everything I wish somebody taught me when I first got into poker. I, I just absolutely love them. And she, if you read her books, a lot of her stuff, uh, she, she's very no BS uh, Southern lady, which I just loved, you know, really calls you out when you're not, uh, you're not performing to your best. And you, they, in her books, though, she she gets to so many things that actually help you develop. She was on going back to rest and everything like that. Uh, she she was way further ahead than everybody on this. She was talking about uh, what mental changes needed to happen to get you to your peak poker performance way before. I, I think it's a little bit more fashionable now in poker for po- poker players to talk about meditation and whatnot. But Trisha was ahead of the time and all of that. And when she got me more into that, you, the reason I sound much more well-adjusted and happy these days is largely because of her. So I can't recommend anybody 
I can't recommend them enough, right? Uh, all of those people. And then as far as, as far as mental game, other stuff, there's, I, I would hope you guys are signed up for my newsletter at pokerheadrush.com because I think an attitude change is really in order for a lot of poker players because I, and you'll see videos and articles come out about this if you sign up for the newsletter. So I'm not going to belabor this too much, but my attitude was the biggest problem for the longest time. It was, I was entitled. Uh, I was arrogant. I thought I was way better than I was. And when I actually started telling myself like, look, man, you're going to play some no limit hold'em. Uh, no limit hold'em is there's a reason a lot of pros do not play this game. When it comes to card games, this is the fist fight of the card playing world. And you know what? You wouldn't walk into a fist fight not expecting to not get punched. You would expect to get punched in the face if you walked into a fist fight, right? And you're walking into a no limit hold'em game. You can expect to get your chips cleaned out at some point if you're going to play this tournament. You can expect for gamblers to get on your nerves and go after you and say things about you. You know what? It's pretty metal, though. It's, it's kind of a party. It's something that you wouldn't expect. This is much better than just sitting around waiting for the DMV to renew your license. This is exciting, right? So be grateful for that. Be grateful for the excitement it provides. And once I started having that attitude before I played, and then this would go through my head, I'd lose like a big hand to a bad beat, and I'd start sulking. I'd be like, you're going, you're getting really entitled right now, Alex. You're acting like a little ass right now. And then I just would get so disgusted with my behavior. I would start like, all right, come on, focus. Next thing, right? What's the next thing? Control what you can control, right? But two is one and one is none. Check, double check the stack sizes and everything along those lines. Beyond that, I think you also have to look into, I, I think competition is a culture that you must be a part of. I did not, most of the world does not want to compete. Most of the world hates competition. Most of the world degrades competition. Most of the world would Love it if you gave up because it makes them feel some kind of way about themselves. You need to surround yourself with people who they don't necessarily have to be in a higher position than you, but they're motivated and they're willing to internalize and take ownership for all of their mistakes. Because once you become a part of that culture, it really gets within you. Part of the reason I moved to New York is I'm really the people I hang around here, the people I count as close friends, there's a culture around them. If they hear you making excuses, they mock you until you internalize it. And damn it, you need that, right? If you're going to turn your life around. And if you can't find people to keep you accountable, the first place I got that culture was following sports psychologists and sports in general. Because sports are a celebration of excellence. I did not watch ESPN, this is not a joke, for, I didn't watch sports or anything from 2006 to 2016 because I was so obsessed with poker, but the, I think it was actually the first year the Seahawks went to the Super Bowl, uh, not the first year, but uh, I, got, I really got into it again, the first year with Russell Wilson. And 
I just noticed the more I read about people that overcame adversity and worked hard, the more I got into that culture, the more I got into when I would go play poker, I would face adversity and I would think of those examples of how people overcame. Whereas if you're surrounded by people who program you to believe that adversity is all other people's fault and you should give up at the first sign of it, guess what's going to kick in once adversity comes? I would really recommend also audiobooks because audiobooks allows you to hear the author. The audiobooks I recommend are How Champions Think by Bob Rotella and 90% Mental by Bob Tewksbury. Uh, 90% Mental is a little bit more autobiographical, but I, I just, I, I love how that man teaches. And I would really go to lots of other uh, sports biographies to get, in, uh, get into it. Uh, one that is fantastic, uh, Dirk Hayhurst. He's actually, a, he was a pitcher in Major League Baseball who wrote multiple books. But Bigger Than the Game is a book about him rehabbing after an injury and actually succumbing to drug addiction. And I, I found that book mind-blowing for anyone who competes for a living, just how gritty and in-your-face he gets with you, you about that. And then any of his books are fantastic. In a, Nate Jackson's book, uh, slow getting up about his life as an NFL football player. You listen to that book and then complain ever again about poker. It you'll feel really wussy because that guy really lets you know what some men sacrifice just to compete for a living. Uh, that that would be my recommendations. Okay, and I would just echo what Alex sort of says. I mean, I for the podcast that you've already listened to, uh, the guy that you've asked the question. Um, Jared Tendler did a couple of sessions with me and I think I, I did release them as two podcasts and then I think he did yeah he did a couple of private sessions with me as well and I swear you know what a difference it made just a, another voice and how you frame something internally and someone else explains to you maybe why you're thinking like that and why that's not the case it can be like you know I'm full of cliches today but like a light bulb, you know, moment. It's it's true. You can internalize thoughts and looking at a way, a worldview for years. And because it's only your voice, you're in your own like feedback loop. And then someone else comes out and says, well, maybe that's not right. If you look at it this way and have you ever thought that, yeah. then you can just go, wow, like I didn't even, you know, appreciate that. And, um, you know, I don't have an ongoing mindset coach or anything like that or for business or anything. But, yeah, I'm a big believer in podcasts, audiobooks, doing the whole going for a walk thing and putting your headphones on. And uh, also just good old fashioned books as well from people that have been there and done that. And um, read as much as you can, take in as much information as you can from people that have achieved things or are on the path that you've been on and you'll be, you'll see that the sort of trials and tribulations that they've been through and it can all help. But I think the key takeaway is a different voice. And you know what, that, it doesn't even need to be a mindset coach. I can be a friend or someone else like that is, doesn't even know how to play poker. Yes. Yeah. They don't even know how to play poker. You could be talking to them about something and they could say it in a different way. Or like Alex, I always remember Alex when I first started, you know, I interviewed Alex for the first time 
and I have paid Alex. Can you believe I, I paid Alex, actually, for, <laughs> lessons, for lessons at the start? You know, how the tables have turned, Mr. Fitzgerald. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, I, in all seriousness, I paid Alex for, um, you know, a few private lessons, which were, they paid me back so many times. I think I paid a few lessons and like two months later, I got second in like the nightly 100K on stars for like 10 grand or something. You know, it was, yeah, it, was it, it was frightening. It, but, you know, it paid for it so many times. And I always remember Alex saying to me about, you know, it's that entitlement thing. That's one of the worst things I think poker players can have. And because there's a lot of, you know, I'm going to stereotype here, but a lot of young angry men that are, you know, young men growing up and stuff that are angry at things in the world or their life or then they take a bad beat, which is only like a four to one shot. But to them, it's the world ending. I've been there. I used to think, why me? What have I done? Oh, my God, I feel cursed. I just can't get on, you know. Um, until you had the mask broken there. But I always remember you, Alex, said, just be grateful for the fact that you've got internet, you're in a computer, you're in a warm house, you've got a shot. Be grateful for the shot of doing what you're doing. Rather that, you know, there's some people out there that are living on less than a dollar a day or they can't even play poker or, or that's not even, you know, on their list of 100 priorities in the day. So it puts it in perspective. And it, sometimes it does take a different voice to do that. That's probably all I, I, I'd add to it. Yeah, Jared Tendler, the funniest thing is he was that voice for me because I got entitled too. And he went, he started a lesson with me. He was like, oh, it seems to me like poker gave you everything and you're pissed it didn't give you more. And I'm like, God damn. <laughs> you know, like, like, yeah, yeah. And then anytime I'd be complaining, he'd be like, again, you know, you started uh, – Without a pot to piss in and without a window to throw it out of, you got to travel the world and do everything you wanted, be on television, publish books, yada, yada. And uh, now you're mad it's not giving you more. And the more it got into me, the more that's when I started talking to Barry about like, look, man, like 2.2 2 billion people on this earth survive off of less than a dollar a day. The fact you got a shot. It, think about this, man. That's why that book, Slow Getting Up, by the uh, football player is amazing. Because you can hear, he reads the book himself and you can hear his heart breaking as he realizes his dream is slipping away, even though he's retelling conversations that he's years away from. In poker, that never happens. If you're 80 years old, you still got a shot. If you got 100 bucks, you can satellite into a $1,000 tournament. You play a $1,000 tournament, you could be making six figures in a matter of days. It's never over. Never, ever think it's over. You do have a chance. It's that shot. It's that ability for every day to be interesting. That is the real salary in this game. Definitely. Okay, on that note, Alex, we're going to wrap it up. Um, we're going to talk about the new product that you've uh, kindly included in an exclusive discount for oneouter.com listeners and followers of the Ask Alex show. So we are doing the poker craftsman package just now that we've mentioned on the last previous two shows. Use coupon code oneouter at the links to Alex's Gumroad store and you're getting it for $79 down from 480 I think it was, 480 
and that includes six of Alex's products. All the details are on the oneouter.com website, in the show notes, and on the one out. If you go to oneouter.com, at the top right, there's a tab, and it's called Alex's Store. And if you click in there, that'll list the current offers exclusive to oneouter.com listeners with huge discounts um, on the Poker Craftsman package. But Alex is kindly uh, threw this one in as well on discount just now, and it's Test Your Poker Super Pack, which is normally $350. And if you use coupon code OneOuter, O-N-E-O-U-T-E-R, it's down to $49.99. So Alex, if you want to just tell people about Test Your Poker Super Pack, why they should buy that, what's incorporated, and then we'll wrap it up for this episode. Well, if you guys, I, I, one of the most common emails I get is, I don't know how to study. That is a very common refrain you hear from poker players. I don't know how to study. I don't know how, what to look for. Test Your Poker was something I was putting together for my students. And then I just recorded the sessions. And what they are is I give you a test question. I give you multiple choice answers. And then you make your selection. And then I guide you through why I agree with you or why I don't agree with you. And then I present my evidence, be it combinatorics, Flopzilla, Cardrunner, ZV, databases, whatever it is. And then through this, we deliberately practice. You try something you're uncomfortable with. All of these videos, there's six of them. Test your poker one, test your poker two, test your poker pre-flop, test your poker three, three betting, test your poker four betting, test your poker unorthodox plays. All of these videos are designed to put you in extremely uncomfortable spots because I would much rather you deal with that in the safety of your own home when nothing's on the line where I can guide you through it slowly than when you're at the table playing for hundreds or thousands of dollars. It is much better to get there and to get ready ahead of time. And going back to Jared Tendler, something he wrote about in the mental game of poker is you need to warm up somehow. If the way you warm up is you just show up and you're still waiting for the coffee uh, from the server and for the first 10 minutes of the tournament, you're not really paying attention. You're not really there. Guess what? That's your warm-up routine. We want to get away from that. And Test Your Poker was, uh, it was originally made for my students. It just got really popular. Uh, I'm actually looking at the reviews right now. Gumroad has a review feature. It's really neat. So it's got 26 reviews, which is awesome. Uh, 96% of them are five stars. That was really cool. And then uh, somebody for some reason put a four star. But uh, if you do test your poker, uh, if you do get the test your poker series, this is an incredible value. If you watch five questions over 15 minutes every morning, it will be a complete four weeks before you have to repeat a question. Uh, One of my students, Todd P., he just loved this program. He actually provided the quote that's in the uh, website. Uh, he said, I love watching Test Your Poker before I play. It's the perfect way to warm up. That's what's on offer today. I think you guys would really love it. Uh, you also get to hear me get into a fight with my neighbor in one of the packs, which I was going to cut, but then it was so <laughs> funny. I just let it, I, I left it on there for the hell of it, right? But uh, yeah, don't worry. It's really focused. It's uh, It gets right to the point. That's just one digression. Essentially, 
uh, my neighbor started playing music really loud and I went to yell at him so I could finish the video and I forgot to hit stop. So that's a little bonus feature I left in there. Anyways, uh, I, I think, oh yeah, and one more thing for your mental game, guys, journal. If it's all stuck in your head, it can distort itself any way you want it to. If you write it down in black and white, you're going to realize a lot of the things you're thinking are ridiculous. All right. I think yeah, we're done yeah, now. Yeah. I definitely agree with that as well. Um, okay. So check out those offers. Poker Craftsman package down to $79 from $480. And Test Your Poker Super Pack from $349.99 down to $49.99. As soon as you enter the coupon code OneOuter at checkout. And again, all the details are on oneouter.com, show notes and Alex's store section at the top right on the front page. And you'll be able to do that. Okay, keep your questions coming in for future shows. Email questions at oneouter.com or you can tweet them to me at oneouter.com. That's at O-N-E-O-U-T-E-R-D-O-T-C-O-M. Or you can join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash one hour. There's also a Facebook page for you to like and do it. Everybody does different ways of getting questions in or getting in contact, asking anything else. So amongst all that, you'll find a way how to do it. Alex, how can people get in touch with you, follow you and see what else you're up to? Guys, the way to get free content from me every day. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can get content like this every single day from me. If you go to pokerheadrush.com and sign up for the ma uh, mailing list. And if you want to make sure that you get that right to your inbox, go to your contacts and add alex at pokerheadrush.com. That'll go right into your inbox every time then. Otherwise, it's going to be slated over to promotions because I am sending it from uh, MailChimp, uh, a massive email server. So Google does what they do, which is they they recognize what most MailChimp emails are and they classify it. But if you want, I there you sign up for the email newsletter. What is it? Nineteen out of twenty of them are just content. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I actually think there's content in in everything. I don't I don't think there's I don't think I think there's content in everything. And I always make a habit of like flagging them and going back and reading them and stuff. And uh, they're they're always good. I always catch the usual digs in some of them. Some of them I miss. Um, <laughs> Alex likes to try to sneak things in to check if I've read, but I sometimes actually read them. Um, I, you know, I just put them aside, flag them, and then go back and read like two, three in a row sometimes. And then sometimes I don't even bother responding to these uh, cheap jibes these days, you know? <laughs> It's a. I always go. I wonder if Barry's going to read this one. It's so funny when three weeks later he'll read it. And then on Twitter, Barry's just going off and sending me Arby's applications, and I'm like, "What the hell brought this yeah, on?" <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah. Anyway, I forgot to needle you earlier in the show when you were talking about Jonathan Little. I was going to go. Yeah, he knocked you out the last tournament. I had a piece of you. <laughs> We uh, well, the funniest thing is uh, Jonathan Little when he posted, he like won a few pots after that, and he posted his stack and he said I busted Alex uh, in a fair flip, which was he raised and I shoved like twenty four x with Ace King and he called with tens and uh, he won the flip and I said you know good game and I walked away. And then he won a few other pots. Then he had like two hundred big blinds or something and everybody was like, how much money did you get in with Jonathan Little? I'm like, no, it wasn't. 
damn it, John, you don't have to needle me after I bust. Now everybody thinks I'm spewing. But yeah, anywho, yeah, I, let's wrap I this up. Something like you need to work on your collusion or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, our <laughs> signals. signals. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. That's all we got time for today. We'll see y'all next show. Keep your questions coming in. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.